0: The Talking
1: Point with Kathy Mossasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday.
2: You're listening to The Talking Point. We continue leading the conversation right here on SAFM. Welcome to the third and final hour of the show. We're looking at a people's budget. What would a people's budget look like? And, of course, it's ahead of the finance minister, Inoko um tabling of the budget speech later To Of the budget, rather, later this afternoon, it is often described as the budget speech, but he tables his budget this afternoon. So when we, as the citizens and residents of this country, think about what needs to go into a budget, what I often see is that... What we prioritize versus what is often prioritized in the budget, those two, um, you know, don't always reflect the same things, which is why I thought it will be important uh, for us to say, well, what is actually um, what we want to see in the budget? And if we were given that opportunity, what would our budget, what would the people's budget actually contain? What uh, would be in it, uh, especially When it comes to addressing concerns in our society, um, what would it reflect? Um, Coming up to speak to us in this conversation is Tony Ehrenreich. He's uh, representing COSATO at the People's Budget Coalition. Tony, good morning to you.
3: Good morning. Thank you for having us on the show.
2: And Andile Zulu is also a member of the Budget Justice Coalition. Andile, good morning.
3: Good morning. Thank you for having me on.
2: You know, we started off the show today um, on the open line with what is uh, really a heart-wrenching call from one of our listeners, um, Zani, who's out in KZN. And she was speaking about crime and how she's been affected by crime um, in the Durban CBD. And she talks about the fact that it's something that's happening on a day-to-day basis and very little seems to be done about it of course you can imagine the responses from south africans after that everybody seems to have a story to tell about experiencing crime and yet if we go when the budget speech has been when the budget speech is done often what we will see is that what we consider to be priority areas where perhaps the biggest allocation of state spending should go um, is not necessarily what happens uh, with the budget. So when we talk about the people's budget, and this is an idea that has been taking place for some time, uh, you know, the the People's Budget Coalition will launch its own budget before um, the finance minister does that. What is the, the idea behind it? Tony?
4: Thank you very much. I wasn't clear who you had asked the question to. Can I just say this, that on matters related to the detail of the people's budget, I think andil is a much better place to give a comment on that because I was not in the people's budget. So this year uh, I can give you some of Kusata's perspective. But you raise an important point about what is a budget meant to do. The budget is the link between the promises that a government makes it's actual delivery. So if you don't allocate money to something that you promise people, then it's not going to happen. So what we have in South Africa is that the politicians and the political parties give us their manifestos. They tell us what they're going to do, the great promises that all politicians make. But those things only have resonance when you attach money to that, when you're going to be able to make it happen. And the fact that South Africa today is a more unequal society than we were in 1994 that the unemployment levels are higher, that the elites in the society today live a much better life with many of our erstwhile comrades residing in the Santons and the constantias and who appear to have forgotten about us. So the budget is not being used by government to give expression to the political promises that were made and to give expression to the real legitimate expectations of people to undo the legacy of apartheid. But it seems all our political leaders have done is to ingratiate themselves with the old elite who stole under apartheid, who've enriched themselves there, and now our politicians and our political leadership were meant to respond to the challenges and the promises of the Freedom Charter. They've forgotten about people and are more concerned about how they can enrich themselves and pocket the money. So in that sense, there's a huge disjunction in these budgets that have been announced from the promise and what the mechanism and the function of a budget is within the society. Over.
2: Andile. despite concerns that people might raise um, with the the budgets that are tabled, these are budgets that are often adopted by Parliament. Um, I don't recall a a case where a budget has been um, rejected in this country uh, or even rejected on the grounds that it is not giving, uh, as Tony put it, expression to the political aspirations of the people of this country. When you go about, as, as as the budget coalition, trying to get a sense of what it is that the budget should be prioritizing, who do you speak to? How do you ensure that what you come up with is a true reflection of the issues that need attention, that need resources channeled into them in the country?
3: Um, Thank you. Well, essentially the Budget Justice Coalition is a gathering of different civil society organizations, some of whom represent social movements, community groups, um, various uh, progressive organizations with society. And essentially the idea is to say, if there are 18 million who are living, people who are living in extreme poverty, if we have the highest unemployment rates in the world, if we have an um, extremely unequal society, then it is those people who are affected by those issues directly that we need to engage with. And so you can do this um, in a very scientific manner, you can have surveys of energy poverty. So Do people, uh, most South Africans, have a reliable, safe, and affordable access to electricity? You can also do investigations into different sectors of of the states that directly interact with people. So for example, some of the organizations within the Budget Justice Coalition have interacted with workers and people that go to public hospitals and clinics, and we've come to realize that our health system is in fact collapsing. You can also do interactions with people who are teachers, with learners, and you find that the education system is also significantly decaying. Many teachers are overworked, many schools are understaffed and under-resourced. So if you actually engaged with ordinary South Africans, in the different communities and institutions that they're located in, you would get an indication of what we should be actually prioritizing when it comes to budgeting as a state and the governments within that state. But unfortunately, as Tony alluded to, our politicians have their own narrow concerns in terms of their own self-enrichment, but really what drives the gap between the reality that South Africans face and the way in which national treasury budgets is the fact that national treasury is first gripped by what we think is a incorrect macroeconomic framework that does not suit South africas needs. But secondly, they are driven by a priority to satisfy creditors who they rely on for getting loans, but also to satisfy international finance and multinational corporations. Once again, because in the perspective of treasury, just looking at their budgets in the past several years, they are under an illusion that we need to prioritize the interests of the market, the interests of multinational corporations, and the interests of creditors as a mechanism to grow the economy. We as the Budget Justice Coalition, based on research that we've been doing for years, demonstrate that South Africa desperately needs some sort of macroeconomic framework that prioritizes social economic development dealing with healthcare, education, public infrastructure, but we also need a new plan for growing the economy. We need a new industrialization program. And unfortunately, for the reasons that we've highlighted, national treasury um, and the government at large, doesn't seem to prioritize the needs of most south africans because again they have different interests but also they have a different ideological framework for understanding how the budgeting process should unfold and what should be prioritized
2: and 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 that of course has been a matter that has really resulted in an in an ongoing debate right andile of of what the approach to budgeting in this country should be What we've seen over the last couple of years are budgets that have been tabled and approved that are described as austerity budgets. The National Treasury, of course, rejects this idea and notion of an austerity budget. But (laughs) the reality that we're sitting with is that we are watching declining spending across services. So whether it's social spending, uh, we're talking health, we're talking education um, and, and, and other services but the difficulty of course for, for this year is that we are now at a point where when you look at something like the NHI government is 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 really pushing that the NHI not only goes through but is implemented um, within the, the the next financial year there's uncertainty around the financing models of of the NHI what kind of pressure um, is that going to put on on the budget and and the policy of course that um government also has to be implementing at least um the government that is in place today tony
3: well oh or
2: oh, oh, rather apologies andile you can go for it and tony will, ca- will come in after
3: right. oh thank you um well it's quite true we must be very direct and clear um to ca- to define what o- what the national treasury has been pursuing for the past several years as austerity measures the national treasury is under the illusion, we think, that they have too much debt, the economy has stagnated, and so the only solution to solving that deficit, that crisis of debt supposedly, is by cutting expenditure. But you cannot cut expenditure towards public services and goods when you have a country where millions of people, literally half the population lives in poverty. The other 18 million live in extreme poverty. You have the highest rates of unemployment in the world. You have a decay of SOEs that are critical towards the country functioning. It is extremely counterintuitive to then say that we are going to incapacitate the state essentially by limiting or cutting spending in a time when there are more people who need education and there are more people who need healthcare and there are more people who need quality food and electricity. So there's that firstly, the the, the National Treasury is approaching our problem of economic stagnation uh, and government spending completely incorrectly for a country like South Africa. And so then in terms of things like the NHI, if you have created a state that is losing its capacity to supply even the most basic of of services, where we are now in a situation where the healthcare system is collapsing, where we have a situation where many nurses and doctors and people within the public health sector are overworked and under-resourced, it is completely counterintuitive to then say that you're going to be able to have the capacity and the resources to implement a national health insurance program. Now, I want to be very clear that I do think South Africa needs universal health care, but it cannot happen underneath a regime of austerity. If the state was serious about implementing national health care, they would do everything within their power to mobilize resources progressively, for example, by taxing wealth, by increasing corporate income tax, by stopping illicit financial flows and tax evasion, um, by investing in infrastructure through public funds and not borrowing money from the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. So what I'm saying essentially that in order to implement the measures that we need, like universal education, like universal healthcare, you need to build a capable and resourced and focused and determined state. Unfortunately, this isn't the state that we currently have. So we're in a difficult situation where years of austerity, combined with systemic corruption, have withered the capacity of the states. And so what we need is a revival of the states as a body that not just manages different interests in society, but a body that actively contributes towards developing South Africans by providing us with the infrastructures and the institutions that we need to realize the rights that are, our, um, that are given to us in the Constitution.
2: Tony?
4: I can only say that I entirely agree with the points that have been made by Andile, because I think that he highlights the crucial issues. If we look at one of the areas, how is it that the budget has not significantly changed from the days of, let's say, a uh, uh, moderator finance minister like Trevor Manuel to what should be a left-wing finance minister like Nogunangwana. It's clear that the architecture of the budget is not changing. That must raise with us that the finance sector, the financial sector in South Africa seems to be prescribing to government what it must do and not the needs of the people. And Dele is right and I want to take two examples to illustrate the point that he makes very eloquently. The first one is on Transnet. There's been an underinvestment in Transnet. There's been massive corruption of state players involved, very little action taken against them. And so essentially the people who've been responsible for the collapse of Transnet has been people within the state and people in charge of that parastatal But what does Transnet do? Well, Transnet moves the agricultural products out of the country. It moves our mining products, whether it's coal or iron ore or any of the other products that we had a bonanza with at the last budget from global prices increasing. We don't capacitate those institutions so that we can export more and take advantage of a commodity price boom. Instead, what happens due to the in expenditure is that transnet collapses more and more and we're unable to export our products. So that's one example of a complete disaster in the respect of the government. The second one must be the point that Andile makes about universal health care. Of course we want that. We need to have a better health system in South Africa. But what do we have at the moment? We have our politicians and the well-heeled in this country all being on private health care, private schooling, private security guards, everything they privatize for themselves and they're managing the public services into the ground. So our politicians don't ever have to go queue at a day hospital or take their kids to school uh, where the schools are under-resourced or don't have frontline staff. And that frontline staff is not there because of budget cuts from the architecture and the framework of the budget that's been put in place by the government. So again, now they're talking about the 20 billion rand in rebate tax deduction that is given to those members, of medical aids, that's been on the cards for the last five years that we've had to recoup that money, we've got to put it in the public health service, but the government doesn't touch that. And I mean, part of the reason why they don't, because they benefit from it, and the colonies who they have, their dinner the parties, would also benefit from it. So the point that we must ask ourselves, which is the point that I am really asking, is this government and this budget responding to the challenges that we have? We see some green shoots, we see some examples. For example, the 200-odd billion rand that's been put into ESCOM to make sure that the security of energy supply is going to boost economic development and growth and get people into employment and get the economy going. But there are not significant enough steps that are taken. So here and there, there's signs of a schizophrenic government doing one thing on the one hand, but then completely contradicting it on the other. I agree. We've got to start with what our society needs. We've got to do an assessment of what who has what in the society. Because the well-heeled, they must choose between the 2024 model Mercedes or the 2023 model Mercedes. That's the extent of the inconvenience of a budget that doesn't serve their needs. We've got to respond to ensuring that the budget speaks to the needs of the majority of poor people in this country who have been let down by the system of apartheid and now by a democratic government that's unwilling or incapable of directing the resources to undo the legacy of apartheid and putting our country on a growth trajectory that benefits everybody. Over.
2: Sure. uh, Tony, thanks for that contribution. Um, I I want to quickly take Mlu, who's out in Durban. Mlu, the People's Budget. Good morning. Good
0: morning, Kevde. How are you?
2: Good. Thank you, Mlu.
0: Kevde, I'm having a tough time understanding these budget cuts.
2: Mm.
0: Look at health. The Department of Health is struggling. The Department of Education, especially in provinces, are struggling. And on the opposite side, the government is saying our health and education are one of the apex priority. How do then to do marry the two? You know, whereas we are, there are no teachers in the classroom, there are no nurses, the doctors are not employed, there are long queues in hospitals. I, I don't understand. I feel I don't understand really what the government is saying. They should come out clearly So say, uh, uh, South Africans, we are battling right now. We don't have money this is the challenge we are facing other than playing around with ways, you know yeah Yeah, tomorrow we're going for elections what promises are they going to say because if you look at even in all these other political parties nobody's talking about these austerity measures to say how best are we going to get out in this particular time frame all of them they're silent on this particular matter
2: yeah Mlu, thanks for that call and contribution out in Durban. And and you raise an important point about um, opposition parties, right? Because, again, when it comes to the debates on on, on the budget, which uh, the the finance minister is tabling, I I don't recall an instance where we have seen um, political parties withdraw their support for the budget, at least to the extent that um, they, they, they don't vote in favor of it. Um, once it is tabled in in Parliament. Andile, what do you think can be done to show that, in fact, um, there is some level of commitment to making this budget more people-friendly, to making it a budget that is fit for purpose to meet the needs of South Africans where we are today?
3: um well i think firstly we just have to accept the the severity of the crises that we are in so i think um because as tony mentioned many of our politicians are distanced from the reality that south africans live in they don't have to experience load shedding they can experience private health care they can experience private education we should accept the fact that the country is in a moment of crisis a profound crisis The hunger in the Eastern Cape is so severe in some parts that people are resorting to eating cats and dogs. And when you have that kind of crisis with no immediate intervention, you risk social explosion and not necessarily uprising, but just sort of an an explosion of people's rage which can lead to instability. So we have to accept how severe things are, and we have to review our macroeconomic strategy as it relates to budgeting especially, to say that what have we been doing wrong and where have we not mobilized resources? So just as an example, the National Treasury was creating the illusion last year, especially, that we had reached some sort of fiscal crisis. Um, And now, of course, there are issues with government's expenditure, um, but they are not so severe that they can justify these austerity measures. And in fact, there are many resources available to the government that they just simply choose not to unlock um, because it would be politically incorrect to the creditors, the international financiers, and the multinational corporations that Treasury is trying to appease. For example, South Africa is the most unequal country in the world. There are three individuals, billionaires, who own as much wealth as the bottom 50% of the population. There is about 100 million rands of 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 illicit financial flows that was lost last year due to tax evasion and profit shifting, right? So there are resources available to us. How is it that we can have um, the most high rates of inequality and we don't have a wealth tax? We don't have a tax on the rich. We have, for example, also seen a significant decline over the years in how much we tax corporations as well. So I think it is high time that the private sector is disciplined and that it is properly taxed. To say that if you want to do business in South Africa and invest in this country, you must also be willing to give back to the development of the country itself. Right. So I think that is one of the instruments that we can use. We have to have a progressive tax framework that uh, that gets the wealth that we can in such a way that we are able to expand infrastructure, stimulate job creation, and actually realize the rights that people have. All right. That they aren't- in
2: the constitution Andile I'm going to give you a chance to continue in a moment it's time for the latest news headlines
3: SAFM values your views be an active citizen
2: Hi Kathy
1: and the listeners You know when I hear about these budget cuts from uh, our government I always ask myself have they ever cut um their upland spending example vehicles i was uh, at uh, kingshara international airport on monday i saw about 15 cars 15 cars luxury german cars with a lot of people wearing black suits going there to pick up one person, Deputy President Paul Mashatil. Yo, this is crazy I promise you
2: And it's perhaps one of the the areas of of disparity that we've seen in the budget, particularly in the last year, Uh, Tony, that while we've had a reduction um, to spending that goes into, let's say, resourcing and capacitating the police, Um, vip protection has not suffered um, such reductions in fact it has seen an increase in the amount of um, resources that have been um, channeled into it in fact i think um, in in 2023 the financial year the spending was 3.4 billion rand on mobile and static vip protection uh, which included 1.7 billion on mobile vip protection Meanwhile, you've got 2.5 billion, um, 2.25 billion rather, that's allocated towards the hawks. So you do have this very great disparity, even on something like crime fighting.
4: You're absolutely right, and that's why we have a crisis of crime in our country. I mean, the levels of corruption just in all walks of society is totally ridiculous. But it is that way because criminals know that their chances of getting caught is probably less than 10%, because there's just so, such a lack of capacity in the police services and in the prosecutorial services. How is it that massive that can still walk around today after misappropriating over 250 billion rand of poor pensioners' money? But it's that kind of disregard from the side of the government that doesn't allocate resources to the most important areas. So why is it that we haven't reduced the amount of deputy ministers? Why are we not increasing the levels of police services in our communities to make people safer? It seems that the government has a distorted view of what their obligations are. They're solely interested in focusing on themselves and their own survival in the short term and don't appear to be prioritizing the needs of people who are facing incredible difficulties as a result of deepening levels of corruption. And I just want to point out to you, we know where the corruption is. It's partly in state officials, it's partly with political leadership across all of the parties, I might say. And then we've seen it in some unions and we've seen it in some NGOs. But the extent of corruption in business, which we give fancy names or like collusion and other things, has meant that poor people's lives have become even more difficult because the elites want to not only take the excesses that they have, but now want to loot the areas that are meant to serve the needs of the majority of the population. So it's a question of what the political will is, what the political commitment is on the political leadership, and whether they want to execute that. If you're not allocating the funds to the programs, the great programs, I must say, that we have in government and that we have as political parties, but if you're not doing anything to implement those measures, then you're busy with the grand deception of our people. Any plans without budget allocating to give effect to it is just empty promises, and that's something that we must urgently implement so that we can hold our politicians to greater levels of accountability.
2: Yeah, Tony, here's 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 my difficulty. Here's my difficulty. You know, you speak with such clarity on 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 some of these matters, and and really highlight the extent to which they, they, there's a lack of will and a lack of commitment. But but the reality is. Without holding politicians accountable, the same behavior is enabled. So something as simple as the size of the cabinet, it's a—it's—it's it's an issue that has been raised time and time again. Instead, what we see is not a decrease in cabinet. We see an increase in cabinet. We probably have the highest number of ministers, but especially deputy ministers, We hardly ever see them. We don't even know who some of them are. Not because they're not publicized, but because they do so little that as a public, we just don't know who they are. And this is allowed to happen. The the Tripartite Alliance has also allowed this to happen.
4: I think you're absolutely right that we all have a level of responsibility to the dysfunction in our society. And we've allowed political leadership to act in the way that they do. One of the first statements that President Ramaphosa made to us was that he was going to reduce the size of the cabinet. That has not happened, and as you correctly point out, size of the cabinet increased. Now, if the works if there's more outcomes because people are doing more work, we may take some comfort from that. But the reality is that deputy ministers can't even replace or stand in for ministers. That's why you get other ministers uh, acting or acting in positions when ministers are out of the country. But that's the absurdity, so that's got to be a urgently. urgency. We are too soft, And our problem is that we have, and I'm talking uh, specifically, we have a difficulty with many of the positions taken by the ANC in respect of implementing the policies that we've agreed to as an alliance that is the bedrock of the Freedom Charter was effectively the liberation promise that those reasons are not being implemented and we're not holding the politicians accountable enough. And it's no longer acceptable to say, well, our fear is that the reactionary parties who benefited from apartheid and really just want the system reinstated that lets their unfettered looting of the South African economy continue as it had under the National Party. We can't let that, that that. here, we're holding us to a point where we now just support anything the governing party does because we're scared of the old apartheid uh, promoters coming back into power. We must uh, ensure that we raise our own expectations. We must demand more from our government, and we must hold them to a greater level of accountability. That's both in the electoral processes, but also in the political processes, whether this is in the alliance or within our organizations. We are an organization of poor people. It seems that we're no longer serving the ambitions and the desires of poor people and the desperate circumstances poor people find themselves in. We're serving the interests of the elite, whether it's the new black elite created by the ANC or the old white elite that continues to control and dominate the wealth of South African society and keep it away from real transformation. But that is the hard question that we've got to confront the governing party with and we've got to make sure it is institutionalized into the way government operates, and the budget is the most important tool that the government has to give expression to its electoral promises. Let
2: me, uh, let me go to Rwadaput. Musibi Adi, good morning. Morning, ma'am. how are you? I'm good, thank you.
5: I just, I just want to add to what all the listeners they said, the people have commented, that I am saying if they were really in bad, they wanted to cut the budget, Put it simply. We uh, are supposed to first think about changing names to unnecessary expenditure. If you are tied up with your budget, you start uh, cutting off unnecessary expenditure. Changing names is not important. Because they should prioritize. They should prioritize. They should, they should prioritize. Mm. So you cannot just spend money recklessly. You can, you, you're starting to to look at the needy, the important things. Like the doctors are roaming around, but the money to go to Cape Town, they do have to go and spend, they should have done it. In a, you know, you must start to cut another expenditure. Uh, that money does flash to the doctors, they mustn't go overseas. So, they, they've cut the budget for the students. Some of the things they were not financed. That money, does used to develop them, to uh, skill development do to get them to know the businesses. So not every student is a working class. Some they are entrepreneurs. They need to be covered with that money. So even themselves, they must start to look at the unnecessary cars. They are using the petrol and everything. Despite the money they are using this. So there's a lot they need to look at. Alright. So according according to me, it's not Syril I'm disillusioned about Syrah, I don't know if maybe or has been sabotaged also but I'm um, definition He's an economist. And the other thing I need to consider, they need to consider, let them call Becky back. Becky was a good economist to come and redirect them because of his things they are lost. They must forget, uh, take the attitude out. Attitude doesn't no work in business. They must have to respect him, respect one another, and take Becky out mm, to come and redirect them to the economy. And they must listen to him, they must listen to one another. That's what I can say for now. I am mean, drowning as a country. Thanks. All right. So,
2: all right, Musubiadi. thanks for that view. She's out in Ruriput. Here's more What what you have to say.
5: Hi, Cathy. Um, I just want to comment about the story of, of the finances and budget speech, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my heart breaks to see all the people in South Africa that are battling, that don't have food, the children go hungry, but not to bring back the apartheid, but Back in the day, they had their own homes, they had transport, they had jobs, they had decent clinics and decent hospitals, and so forth. And they were much better off then than what they are now. Because all this government doing is stealing from everybody, and I think it's a shame. It is a shame and it not- is disgusting.
6: John Blue Fontaine. you know what i hate most about VIP, vip protection it's these people who are in parliament all of them they are volunteers a majority of them are volunteers now all of a sudden they are scared of us even now you will see them running around here going door to door asking for us to vote for them all of a sudden when they are in power they are in vip protection they are scared of us they are scared because they don't deliver on the promises they made to us when they came to us to ask for votes. That's why they're scared. They have to pay billions of rents, whereas that money can be channeled to to, to to creating jobs for South Africans. But no, the ANC government does not do that. But hey, we have a date on the 29th of May, we shall meet in the ballot box to vote you out.
2: All right, Andy, let, let me give you your final word here.
3: Um, thank you. I think what's very important to understand is that, yes, there is an issue with irregular expenditure. Um, there is an issue with things like a VIP protection. But the fundamental problem that we have is of economic stagnation. The government has failed to sustainably grow the economy. And that is the roots of systemic unemployment, of widespread poverty and austerity is the wrong medicine, these budget cuts are the wrong medicine for the current crisis that we face. What we need urgently are two things. First, we need urgent intervention to support South Africans who are in crisis. So you need things like a basic income grant, you need to extend and improve the social relief distress grants, you need to extend and improve child support, but then beyond that, you must limit budget cuts and you need to put the country on a new path of economic growth that is led by the states. We do not think that the private sector and the free market have all the solutions to our problems. Countries that were able to get developed were able to do so because the state played a crucial role in socioeconomic development. So we need to abandon this thing of trying to appease international finance and creditors and multinational corporations. And what we need is a new path of sustainable growth. Just with, for example, climate change, we need to have an energy transition. The government has the ability if it had proper financing and coordination and planning, it could potentially create millions of climate jobs that would put us on a path of confronting climate change, while also putting us on a path of eradicating unemployment and poverty. So what we need is a budget that senses the needs of people first, that All does right. not put profits before people, that does not put creditors before people, that does not put politicians before people, but puts South Africans at the heart of it and urgently responds to their needs, or else we are going to have a crisis of social inclusion
2: uh, Tony, you've got 30 seconds.
4: Well, I can only say that I completely support what Andilia says, and to say that it is a shame that our government is not acting more decisively in service of the poor, people are having desperate circumstances out there. Starvation, food insecurity, and just the level of fragmentation of maintaining people's homes and their kids at school and elsewhere is destabilizing our society. So the social fragmentation is taking place, but it's taking place in the poor communities who it appears that government don't hear their calling. We've got to fundamentally change the way we address the economic challenges in this country, the budget is an important way to do that. But we've got to look at the reality that the world and the old economic models changing and South Africa can do best by trying to cut at the cost of the curve to make sure we benefit from that change, whether it's de-dollarization, the emergence of BRIC, the African Growth and Opportunity Act, all of those things present us with opportunities that we're missing because we're just subordinating our interest to that of big financial capital.
2: All right. So Tony Ehrenreich is the Kosatu representative and Andile uh, Zulu that you heard from there. He is a member of the Budget Justice Coalition. That's where I'll leave it for today on The Talking Point. I'll be back with you again tomorrow. Coming up next is the book reading. Have a lovely afternoon. Goodbye.